Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristan Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is growing bold and disability within the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. And our guest is Wachabalak Elder, champion wheelchair basketball player and Australia's very first Indigenous Paralympian, Kevin Combs, OAM. In this episode, we'll discover how Kevin became a paraplegic, what treatment was available for him back in the 50s, and how a rehabilitation program, which included basketball, changed his life forever. And for our regular listeners, you'll notice that Tristram isn't with us today, but he will be joining us again in our next episode. Kevin, welcome to Grow Bowl with Disability. Thanks very much. Mate, let's start way back in 1953 when you were left a paraplegic after being accidentally shot in the back while out hunting with some cousins. Tell us about that incident. Yeah, um, I was I was 12. My uh, other cousin, he was 14. And uh, two little blokes were tagging along behind us. They were both nine-year-olds. Anyway, uh, we're walking through the floodwaters and, of the 1953 floods they had up up in New South Wales, where I come from, up uh, Bell Reynold, which is about 60 miles across the border from Swan Hill up north. And um, uh, we'd go shoot shooting rabbits and uh, hang them up and, and the rabbit I would come and pick them up the next day. It's one way of making a few dollars, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're walking. We decided to sit down and have a bit of a rest when we come to one of these little islands. And we said, oh, we should go that way, go that way. And I said, no, no, we'll go this way. Then this uh, little bloke, um, he was only nine, he, he come along and started playing with the gun, my gun. And I, I heard it go click and uh, – I um, I said to myself, I think I left the bullet in that, and uh, he put put it at put it at me and pulled the trigger. Sure enough, I did leave a bullet in it, and uh, it hit me in the back. Just it came out between my ribs on my left hand side. Just missed me out. I was very lucky. Me alive, really. So, so what what was the immediate reaction? What happened? Did they had to get you to obviously the hospital? Did they ambulance come to you? Did they have to carry you back out? What what happened? We were out the bush, something like thirty miles out of town, and uh, my my uncle was clearing the land out there, and they were doing a big irrigation thing, and and uh, they said, well, you can if you clear the land, you can keep the wood. So he had a contract with the hospital up there, and they. Um, he made a lot of money, my my uncle, and we're out there helping him as kids, you know, school holidays and stuff like that. Hmm. And uh, uh, an old uncle of mine, he, he threw me in the back of the car and I kept, uh, after I shot, I was uh, dozing in and out of consciousness, as I said, and there was a lot of gates going to, uh, to get to the highway. There's something like 12 gates. Wow. He didn't bother uh, opening the gates. Straight <laughs> yeah, an old Vauxhall, uh, which uh, the front of the, the doors used to open from the front. Now they open backwards. Oh, yeah, the suicide under- doors, yeah. 
And um, he used to polish that, and polish it every day. And when we pull up at the to get on the highway, lights rang and off it, all wrecked. And um, oh. he got me. Um, um, he ended up get, rushing me to hospital, and uh, then they didn't know uh, what blood group I was. Sure enough, mm. I was um, I was my uncle's blood group, so. I sorted that out and uh, got me to uh, got me to the hospital and then had that operation, which was about uh, that night. So it'd be I was shot shot in the afternoon. And I was uh, then taken from Bell Rannell to Swan Hill uh, and operated on that, that that night. So, what was the diagnosis from the doctors after they did remove the bullet? Well, they knew I was a paraplegic, but um, I um, they didn't know too much about paraplegia in those days because um, if you had a spinal injury back then, you um, lived for only about five weeks. Wow. Yeah. And here I am, mate, 60-odd uh, years later. <laughs> <laughs> so what you talk about was pretty, you know, you ended up at Swan Hill what was the treatment? What treatment was available? Did they do a lot of experiments on you? And because, as you say, you know, it was pr- all pretty new back then. Uh, pretty new. It was, it was, it was really uh, terrible, mate. They, they'd wash me in the morning and I'd be laying in my own uh, poo and my uh, um, own urine and stuff like that. They, and I had um, 24 stitches in my stomach and to, to get – for me to pass urine, the um, the doctor used to do handstands on my stomach. Oh, what? Express urine out of me because they didn't know what catheters and stuff like that were around now. But wow. um, it was pretty rugged. I mean, you also there was there was other complications too. I, I did read that you developed some um, bed sores and were forced to spend a, a year laying on your stomach to recover. That's right, because. Um, when I was, uh, as I said, they'd, they'd wash me in the morning and uh, I'd be laying in the you own know, excrement and uh, urine for the, the that day, you know, and that night, and they'd, they'd give me a bath in the morning. Anyway, the, the, the reason why they sent me down to Melbourne, uh, because that looks as though I was going to be with a bed sore and that, it looks as though it was going to get into my bloodstream and, uh, kill me. So they, that's why they, uh, you know, be blood poisoning and stuff like that. That's yeah. why they sent me to Melbourne. I didn't, I didn't see another black face for uh, two and a half years, and for a little twelve-year-old uh, uh, kid uh, coming from the country, who was heavily involved with his family and that, um, it was pretty hard. So, so why, what, why didn't you see your family for two and a half years? Just too hard for them to get down to you and work and so forth, or? Well, there wasn't a lot of work around those days, and it wasn't. Uh, I don't think it was any dull. So, um, uh, it, my my father was a, a woodcutter, plus a a, a driver. So he was away all the time and. Uh, it's pretty hard, as I said, jobs weren't hard to come, and there wasn't any Aboriginal organisations 
back in the in the in the early fifties. Mm. So nowadays they've got Aboriginal organisations, and and those organisations would help uh, if I was if I got hurt today, you know. Well, the actual the very the the concept of disability is quite foreign for the Aboriginal communities. There's no real sort of word for disability, is there, in the Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander language? No. So, can, tell me, how do Indigenous people sort of view disability? Well, I I was very uh, fortunate in '81. I was in in the International Year for the Disabled in 1981. Uh, the great uh, bloke by the name of Charlie Perkins. So there's a bloke down in uh, Melbourne that can talk a bit. <laughs> and so he wanted me to be on this national committee. So I was on that national committee, and that's what that committee was uh, fighting for, is to, to be like uh, the Aboriginals. They knew they know that I'm uh, that they knew that I get around in a wheelchair, mm. but I um, they didn't see me as disabled because I I, I could work, I could. Uh, I could uh, do whatever I want to do. Mm. I used to travel all over Australia by myself um, when I was working with Aboriginal hostels for about uh, 19 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, they've they seen me as, as a bloke that gets around the wheelchair but he's not disabled. Yeah. And that's what that international deal uh, was supposed to be like, is to make... Uh, uh, to be like the Aboriginal groups that looked at you and seen that you were you were disabled in the sense that you got around the wheelchair, but you could do just about anything you wanted to do. Well, there's one thing that you are pretty damn good at, and that's basketball. So, tell us, you were introduced to basketball as part of your rehabilitation. What is it? What drew you to basketball? Well, I, I, it's part of the rehab at the Austin Hospital when they, when we were playing out there. And when we were, because uh, there wasn't any any place I could go to in, in Melbourne, I, I didn't know anyone. There, there wasn't hostels around in those days, uh, so I, I uh, was stuck in hospital for so long, and uh, I'd go over there and practice uh, after our, all our program was finished, and we'd be out there, you know, with no shirt on and trying to attract some nurses <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, because of our build and stuff like that. And mm. uh, that's how we got into basketball. And uh, then they had the Australian Championships here in in, uh, in Melbourne in, uh, in uh, 1960. And um, then they, myself and a uh, bloke by the name of Bruno Moretti, who is still a mate of mine, I still uh, bring him up every now and again. See how he's going. Mm. He's uh, a little bit younger than me, but uh, he was a good ball player, and uh, we were selected in the national team uh, to go to to Rome in 1960. I always say that uh, I, I took him as uh, along as my interpreter. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bruno Moretti would be helpful in Italy, wouldn't he? <laughs> so. That was the very first Paralympic Games, as you say, in Rome, 1960. What was yes. what was the very first Paralympic Games like? Uh, a lot different to what uh, it is mm. today, of course, because the uh, very very quiet. It was uh, it was normally after the 
after the uh, para, uh, after the Olympic Games, and I think it still is. Yep. But, um, uh, but it's uh, you know since the corporates got got involved in Channel Seven and those people who got involved in uh, it's it's uh, turned into some uh, some program now, and I uh, always uh, oh, say it's it's a uh, it's a big family, and I'm I'm proud to be part of that family. Yeah, nice. Now you were the only Aboriginal person representing Australia at those games. How were yes. you accepted? How were you accepted by your team's mates? Um, pretty good. They sort of look after me. Uh, uh, yeah, they, they they one one case uh, there was uh, uh, the Zimbabwean uh, people were uh, uh, were in this uh, bar at um, at the at the games. I think it was in 1968 or something like that. Might have been, yeah, what, what, what have been 68, yeah. Um, uh, because I missed six, 64 because I was, I found and discovered women, mate. <laughs> <laughs> 64 and I was chasing girls. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. But um, 68, I went to, because I, they, didn't have the um, the games in in uh, in Mexico or whatever because of the high altitude. They decided to have it in Israel. That's right, Tel Aviv, yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, I went there and uh, we're in this bar one night, and we mates were having coffee, and, but I had a beer, and uh, then this uh, Zimbabwean bloke looked at me and said. Well, they're open, open, keeping the bar open for niggers, are they? Oh. And uh, I said, oh, I didn't want to punch on there. No. <laughs> so I, I re- reported him to my um, team manager, um, who's, who's a terrific uh, fellow from Sydney. He's passed on now. Kevin Betts, his name was. Yep. He was the manager of our team. And uh, he said, point him out tomorrow morning. And... Uh, this bloke must have had a big nod on the grog because he had bright red the next day. And I said, there he is there. And I pointed, and uh, Kevin Betts went and grabbed him by the front of the shirt, lifted him up on his feet, and he was going to punch him. And uh, but he said, don't ever speak to my one of my boys like that ever again. And I said, good on you. Then, yeah, wow. I've got to be fair to that Zimbabwean fella. From then on, he was, uh, uh, you know, he couldn't do enough for me and, and he was very friendly towards me and uh, that was fine. Wow. So after the after those first games in the 60s, you came back, as you said, in 64, you discovered women as well. I'm sure you discovered yeah. them just before that, though. Now, mate, you also went out into the big bad world and had to fend for yourself. So you had to, you're a young guy, wheelchair-bound, Aboriginal man looking for work in the 60s. How was that? Pretty hard. Uh, yeah, um, one of my mates, uh, a, a big Yugoslav fella, he was in a wheelchair uh, himself. He got me my first job, and uh, uh, I worked with with his company, his, his mates, his oh, mates' company for for twelve months, yeah. and then then I uh, they moved out way out to Springvale, and I thought I I can't drive over there back every day because. Uh, you know, it was just paying for petrol to get there. Mm. So I uh, decided to re- 
resigned from that. So I got a uh, uh, people that were looking after us. So they said he can uh, talk a little bit. So uh, I was in. Uh, I got a job at uh, in the sale as a sales rep in uh, uh, on the phones. You know. Yep. Of selling stuff like printers inks and anything to do with printing. Yeah. I was uh, I was the man to take because we could sell you a, a machine or we can sell you uh, anything to do with printing. And uh, uh, I did that for uh, 15 years. Oh, yeah? Uh, but all up, I was in the work- workforce for uh, 25 years. No, 20, 39 years, actually. Wow. I was in the government for uh, 25 years of that uh, 39 years. The rest was in at the Collies Inks where I worked for many years. And my mates, uh, I'm still mates. There's four or five blokes. We uh, have lunch a couple of times a year. Yeah, and, nice. Uh, and it's great to, to be part of that too. Yeah, well, I mean, you, as you say, you had a very long working career, but you never actually left basketball. You came in and out. You went, as we were just talking about, the 68 Paralympics in Israel, in Tel Aviv. Yes. What was it about basketball that kept drawing you back to want to play? Yeah, well, I, as I said, the, the uh, I wanted to travel and see the world, and that's one of the ways I, I did. Um, I went to uh, America a couple of times, play over there. I went to uh, England a couple of times, play over there. All up, I, I, I've uh, been to America a couple of times, uh, and also to. Uh, Europe and England and uh, uh, Germany. But I tell you what, there's nothing better than sitting sitting on a boat, travelling down the Rhine and sipping a nice uh, white wine. <laughs> nice Riesling, a nice Rhine Riesling. <laughs> you've got that right. <laughs> now, you've, you're amongst some of your amazing achievements, you captained the basketball team in the 72 Paralympics and then you captained the Australian team in the 74 Commonwealth Games. There's regional, domestic, all that championships. You retired in uh, after the, your fifth Paralympics in '84. Yes. What's what's some of your what you, what's your favourite memory looking back? What's your greatest achievement? Do you think? Well, I suppose uh, uh, one of the things that came my way was I got the Order of Australia back in '81 mm-hmm. because of my contribution to disability, disabled sport and to Aboriginal welfare in, in uh, Victoria. Because I worked for, uh, as I said, I worked for uh, human services and uh, health for uh, down here for 25 years of that 39 years, you know. So uh, it was a, a great career. It opened, with basketball, it opened a lot of doors for me uh, uh, and become well-known in uh like Andrew Gaze, for instance, he played in five five Olympics. I played in five Paralympics. Yeah. So I had a great career. and It was just a, a marvellous thing to be part of a Basketball Australia. And I still have my go to their um, – I'm, I'm a Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. Yep. And that was back in when John Howard was the, uh, the Prime Minister. And uh, I went up to – I was going through a really bad time with health and uh, I wanted my, my youngest girls to go up to uh, 
uh, get my uh, award, you know, the yep. Basketball Hall of Fame. And um, she said, Dad, I want you to go because uh, you're, you're the person that deserves this, not, not me. But uh, anyway, she said, you can do it. So I ended up doing it, and uh, I was very glad that she made me do it because uh, um, it was a great night, and uh, I was inducted with a few other people. That, uh, Rachel Spawn, you might remember her. Mm. She played for Australia. Yep. She went. In, she was inducted on the same night, mm-hmm. and uh, a few other people. But um, no, it's, it's been a great career, mate, to be be part of the, the Paralympic family. Yeah, you would have seen a lot of changes over the time too because, as you said, you were an advocate all the way back in the 60s helping found the Paravic Sports Club. They've even named part of it after you now. What's been some of the biggest changes you've seen with disability and sport being accepted now compared to what it was back then? Uh, yeah, well, it, uh, it's, a, it's a big difference uh, nowadays with, uh, like, uh, I, I can recall that we used to um, – Go out and shake tins outside the the VFL uh, games, you know, mm-hmm. outside outside the gates, and yep. help the boys to go to Rome, and help the boys to go to here, and help the boys yep. to go here. But uh, we we'd have to go begging, really. Yeah, uh, not the case anymore because uh, uh, a lot of these uh, uh, people uh, that are around nowadays, they they just turn up for training, and that's it. They Everything's paid for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is all about progression, isn't it? Yeah. It's all about progression and and uh, it's very pleasing to see that when, uh, uh, the, you know, the corporates got involved and, and Channel 7, uh, and they, they got involved in, 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 in uh, showing the Paralympics. I, I, I was never so proud in all my life when, when I was involved in uh, – the organising committee in 2000 for the for SOCOG and and the Paralympics in in Sydney because I was up there every couple of weeks um, and uh, to see in the first game we played uh, I think we played Britain uh, wheelchair basketball and uh, there was tw- something like 22,000 people at the at the game. Wow. Oh, yeah, just unbelievable. Yeah. Fantastic. And uh, I was sitting in the box because uh, I, I, I carried the torch uh, down here in Melbourne, mm. uh, carried the torch inside the stadium. At uh, I was one of the six athletes that carried the bar. Inside the stadium, there was 100,000 people at, yeah. uh, in Sydney that night and uh, I named a street after me up there. Yep. It's still there. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I, I was talking a couple of weeks, when, before they went to Rio, they invited me up and I went up and, uh, and Kevin Knight, who was the, uh, the Olympic minister at the time, he said, he said, I'm here for two weeks, Kevin, just have a look around your street. He said, if you want anything done to it, you better do it now. <laughs> <laughs> because I'll be out of here in two weeks' time. He said, right, mate. <laughs> but, uh, it, was a, it was a great thing that because uh, if I can just tell you this little story about yep. sure. uh, 
because uh, the minister rang me from, uh, he said, can you come up on uh, Tuesday? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went up, uh, and we were, he said, we'll have someone pick you up at the airport and uh, take you to the uh, parliament house. So I did that, and uh, then I get in this room, there's, there's uh, Shane Gould, uh, Murray Rose, the great Murray Rose. Yep. He passed on, of course, and Dawn Fraser and uh, uh, Herb Elliott and a few others that were there, and and all their all their names are uh, named streets after them too. Marjorie Jackson was another one, um, yep. who ended up being the governor of South Australia, mm-hmm. and a, a terrific person. And and uh, I said, I'll just uh, I watch uh, Dawn because I know Dawn. I'll, I'll uh, follow what she says. But then uh, they were doing it in alphabetical order, wasn't they? So the C comes before. <laughs> the, the F. <laughs> so I was first cab off the rack. Oh. If you can imagine, if you can imagine uh, all the TV networks were there. Yeah. And you've got all these cameras and you, the cameras going off in your face. And, People asking you questions and you try to uh, talk sense, you know. Yep, sounds smart. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it was very uh, overwhelming, really. But it was it was uh, it was the first thing that. But I, I sort of look back and have a bit of a chuckle because uh, I've seen Dawn since, and I, you know, I always say that it was uh, it was a wonderful night or oh, that day when they. Name streets after us up in up in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, amazing. What do you what do you think of this new generation of um? Well, they've been around a little bit now. The new generation of the the Paralympians and the the sporting heroes like your Kurt Fernleys or your Dylan Orcotts. There are yeah, you know, they're doing amazing things for disability in sport. They are, yeah, and uh, I um, I've got uh, the utmost respect for uh, for Kurt because uh, I've seen what he did. I, I remember seeing him when. As a ten-year-old, uh, uh, and I thought to myself, you know, when they had junior championships, uh, and I'd rock up, and if I was if I was uh, able to, I'd rock up and have a look at it, see what new talent was coming, and I thought to myself, this bloke's going to be a superstar, and it turned out uh, I was right. Now, mate, we're almost there. Our podcast, as you probably know, is called Grow Bowl with Disability. Now, we always ask one last question to our guests, and that is, what does growing bold mean to you? Uh, growing bold? Mm. Oh, no, I've always been uh, very confident in what I do. I've always been pretty bold and uh, you know, not backward and coming forward. And I've got something to say. Well, if I uh, see something that's out of, out of place or... Some people doing the wrong thing, I'd tell them. Uh, so I suppose that's that's being bold. But uh, I don't want to be intrusive or anyone, but uh, I think uh, people should respect other other people and uh, not all not all people are the same. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, nice. Now, Kev, thanks so much for joining us here today on Grow Bowl with Disability Podcast. It's brought to you by Ferros Care. And our listeners can find out more about Kevin in the links provided in today's episode show notes. Mate, that was a fantastic talk. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Grow Bowl with Disability. You're welcome, mate. And uh, thanks for thinking of me. And good luck to you for your program. 
This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold. And for over 30 years, Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.